I'd like to start this morning by invoking 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me explain. In court proceedings, a defendant in a court proceedings has the right to take the Fifth Amendment, to say, what I am going to say may be used to incriminate me, and so I'm not going to answer that question. In a similar vein, you remember in 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul says, in essence, I am going to speak out of my head for a bit. He lists all the things he's been through. He lists all the the sufferings, the times he's been whipped, the time he was shipwrecked. He goes through all these things and says, you know, and he says all through there, hey, I'm speaking like somebody out of their mind. Well, I'd like to use that as we get started this morning to introduce the topic. So for the next minute or so, do not take what I'm going to say as gospel truth. Don't worry, you won't be tempted to. But I'm going to speak out of my head for just a moment. Okay, here we go. I think that in the United States, our tax system is broken. I mean, I think everybody can, well, most people can say that. I think we need to have a flat income tax. Not this, you earn a certain amount of money and then you start paying one level, then another. You earn some more, you pay another level. You earn some more, you pay yet another level. Just flatten it all out. Get rid of the deductions because, and I'm talking out of my head still, you can tell. Who is winning in this when we're in the income tax system? Isn't it the tax lawyers? Isn't it the accountants? Isn't it the IRS workers? Aren't they the ones who are winning? Well, why don't we get rid of all of that? Think how much money and time we could save with that. Okay, I'm done. I just gave an opinion. Does it help my opinion that I am not a tax lawyer? I'm not an accountant. I teach computer science for a living, which we deal with numbers, but not those kinds of numbers. Does it help that for the last, I don't know how many years now, I haven't filed my own taxes. I've had somebody do that for me. I'd tell you who it was, but he's trying to retire, so I won't do that. I need to find the thing. Here it is. Does it help also that the first time I went to have someone else do my taxes, he looked back at my previous year and said, hey, um, last year... You paid too much in taxes. Maybe we should fix that. But here I am giving this ridiculous opinion without the expertise, without the good sense to keep it to myself. So this morning, and this is, okay. I'd like to talk about opinions. Now, as I get started, let me say, Everybody has opinions. Everybody has to have opinions. We have to make choices in what we do. We have to decide things all the time. You can go from before we're born till we die. Before we're born, our parents have to decide, am I going to do a home birth? Am I going to go to a birthing center? Am I going to go to a hospital? Pretty much all of us choose one of those three things. I mean, the fourth option, I guess, is to just It comes whenever it comes, and wherever I am, I am. Uh, I don't think anybody, I don't know of anybody that's chosen that option intentionally. After the baby is born, do we bottle feed? Do we breastfeed? You got to pick. Baby's got to eat. Do we vaccinate our children or not? When they get older, 
Do we homeschool? Do we private school? Do we public school? They get older still. It's time for them if they decide to go on past high school, Florida college, community college, university, and of course, which university? Ignore my Aggie ring. Not trying to give an opinion. We get out of college and then the questions start coming. Well, okay, when are you going to find somebody? Well, you know, when are you, you going to find somebody? And then if you do, if you're lucky enough to find somebody, okay, when, when are the children coming? When are, you know, and oh, you have one. Well, when's the next one coming? And we have opinions about all of that. When we get older still, and I think Valerie and I are approaching this thing, I'm starting to feel the pull of it, where it feels like it's grandchildren or bust. We get older still, we have to decide perhaps what kind of senior care we do, or really our children may decide for us what senior care we are. Have, they been, have we been nice to them so we get a nice assisted living place? Have we been cruel to them, left them no money, and so they have, so we go to the nursing home down the street or downtown someplace? When do we call hospice in? That's, you know, everybody has to have an opinion if you get, if you're unfortunate enough to get to that point with, with a loved one. When does hospice come in? What kind of, after we die, are we going to have a memorial, a funeral, private graveside, public graveside? You're just going to be cremated quietly. We have to choose. And so the question is not do we have to choose, not do we have opinions or not, because in so many areas, and I've just named a few, we have to have opinions. We have to make decisions or we're just going to bumble through life going nowhere. But what about those opinions? How important are those opinions besides beyond the, uh, the basis of just making a decision that we have to make? Because we are an opinion-driven culture. You go on Facebook, and it is opinions. There's also cute babies, but there's opinions all through there. And sometimes we treat it like it's social currency. If you don't have anything interesting to say, you don't, you know, we almost become like the Athenians, like, oh, you don't have anything to say. Well, you're boring. Let's talk to somebody else. So I'm going to ask us four questions and let the Bible talk to us about four questions about opinions that help us to hopefully help us shape our opinions and decide what we do with them. Because, like I said, we have to have opinions the question is, is it just something I decide? Is it something that I want to tell my friends about? Is it something I want to publish to the world? So, question number one. How do I treat my opinion? I'd like to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're not going to read it all, but I want to pick out some of the, a few verses in there. Because in this, in this context... The Corinthians had asked Paul a question about marriage and what, you know, as I think is probably a multitude of questions that came together, but asked a question about marriage. And so Paul does his best to answer that question in chapter 7. So let's, but let's pick out a few verses 
in that context. In verse 6, but this I say by way of concession, not of commandment. Paul's saying what I just said is not from God. It is from me. This is something I think that maybe you should do, maybe you shouldn't. Verse 10, but to the married I command, not I but the Lord, that the wife not leave her husband. He switches back and says, okay, this one, this opinion is not from me. He starts saying, you know, Eonkos can hear him writing and say this, I command. He says, no, 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 not me. This is from the Lord. And it has a different weight to it. Verse 12, he switches back. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has an unbelieving wife, and she is content to live with him, let him not leave her. One more in verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who has obtained mercy from the Lord to be trustworthy. Paul, in the, I think at the end, he kind of says, you know, I think I have the Lord's spirit here, but I'm giving my opinion. Paul was very clear in this passage when it was, He was speaking from God, the revelation he had from God. And when it was, he was saying, this is what I think you should do. This is my opinion. It is my very, you know, it was his very considered opinion. You read through the context. He has reasoning behind it. It's not just, you know, I don't think anybody should get married. It's because of the current distress. I don't think people should get married. But if you want to, or if you need to, go ahead. It's okay. There's no, you're not sinning in that. So he makes a distinction here between what he thinks and what he knows from God. Now, I don't, you know, I'm not up here with a revelation from God. If I was, you'd be 50 people coming to tackle me. Uh, But I need to make, and we all need to make that distinction too. Is it from me? Is this just something I think? Or is it something that comes from God? Because there is a huge gulf in what happens, especially among people of God. If you and I come together and we have a disagreement about Scripture, hopefully, and I think most of the times, we would sit down and we would be calm about it because we have a common basis. We're both looking to Scripture and trying to understand it. We may find that we just have different perspectives and we're saying pretty much the same thing. We may find that we have a difference that's not that important. You know, it doesn't really change anything. We may just agree to disagree. But when we don't have that common frame of reference, and this is part of what happened in the past couple of years when we, when we had all the mass, not massing and all of that, if we don't have the same source that we're going to, we're kind of stuck. Because if one group listens to the CDC and the other group listens to medical doctors who say something else, well, how am I going to convince you if you're trusting in this source and I'm trusting in another source? So what do I do? Well, it seems I have, if I really want to express my opinion, I kind of have two options. I can either get louder and use volume to try to browbeat you and do it, or I can be more strident about it. 
and say this is the most important, you know, something to the effect of this is the most important thing that we have to deal with right now. When it's not, when it's I'm frustrated that I can't get my opinion across. And I think we all learned in the past couple of years we're not going to agree on all of that because it's not, we don't have the same common frame of reference. But if I start treating my opinion not like Paul did as this is what I'm saying, my opinion is so important that I've got to tell you, is my opinion, sit back, is my opinion that important? Is it worth, well, we're going to get to that. In fact, let's just get to it now. Is my opinion worth blank? Like I said, we all have opinions. We all have to have opinions. We have to make choices. The question is, what do we do with the opinion once we have it? And when we decide to express it, one of the things we need to consider, one of the things I need to consider is, is it worth expressing? Is it worth expressing in this context? Because there's a big difference between me and Valerie talking about something. If she has an opinion and I don't agree with it, we can usually work that out. Uh, with a few friends or to a group. But if I'm going to go to the shepherds with my opinion, probably need to think a little bit longer. If I'm going to put it on Facebook or if I'm going to say it in Bible class or in front of an assembly, I better think about it. I better think about what it might cause. Rehoboam in 1 Kings chapter 12, he had the right as king to decide what taxes were going to be. I didn't pick him because he's talking about taxes, but he had the right to say, I'm going to have high taxes, I'm going to have low taxes. He had that right. He had the right to express an opinion, and the people had to listen to it. What he apparently didn't consider was they also decided they had the right, ten of the tribes did, to listen to what he said and say, Judah, we're done. Look to your own selves. We're, we're out of here. He had the right to express that opinion. He wasn't ready, I don't think, for the consequences of it. We'll look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for a little bit. We're going to look at this a couple times. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to read the first five verses. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power, that your faith wouldn't stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So there's a couple things rolling around in here. First of all, he's just gotten done talking about how the wisdom of men means nothing compared to the wisdom of God, which is another thing we could talk about with our opinions, but we'll leave that there. The other thing is when he was with them, these were new converts or people he was trying to convert, a lot of them. In fact, he talks in chapter one about how, you know, I'm I'm glad I didn't baptize very many of you. Uh, but there were baptisms going on. This was a new group that was starting up. 
But he says in verse 3, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And in verse 2, the not, he didn't want to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Remember, this is Paul we're talking about. This is the guy who could go up to Mars Hill and he could trade blows with the people of Athens. He could give them all that they wanted to hear. He had rhetoric. He had powerful speech. He had the grooming to be a powerful order. Yet in Corinth, he turned that off. He decided, and you read the beginning of chapter 3, he realized these people don't need rhetoric. It's in this passage too. They don't need amazing descriptions. He was capable of it. You read Romans, he has some amazing feats of logic of explaining God's word. But in Corinth, he turned that off. He said, it is not worth it. My, you know, this is from, Ricky has his book. I have a chapter or two or an appendix or something. I'd say, I think he said to the effect, y'all are babes. You do not need my rhetoric. You do not need my wisdom of the gospel. You need the basis. He says it in chapter 3. You need milk and not solid food. So he gave them milk. And of all the things I've studied in preparing for this lesson, this is the one that really hit me. Because I have some talents. We all have some talents. And yet, there are times with our talents, and yes, with our opinions too, when we need to turn them off and recognize that in this situation that I'm in, my wisdom or my talent, my opinion on something, isn't worth it. It's not worth what might come of it. It's not worth confusing people. It's not worth, you know, it's not worth impressing somebody if that's all I'm out to do is impress somebody. Rather, turn it off, leave it be, do what they need. And again, we'll come back to this passage in a moment. 1 Corinthians 6, you know this passage in verse, I believe it's uh, verse 7, second half, why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Why not take your opinion, and they were just butting heads over disagreements that they couldn't solve themselves they were going off to law so apparently it was something that was not a, a bible truth that was going on why not one of you say stop why not one of you say it's all right you win my you know you can have your opinion it's okay third question do i have enough information i'd like to turn to acts chapter 11 Read a few verses there. Acts chapter 11. So in Acts chapter 10, if, you've, uh, if you're familiar with Joe's keys of Acts, Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles come in. Acts 10 plus 1, Peter's rerun. In Acts chapter 10, it's a story of Cornelius, but you'd be forgiven for thinking that this is the story, and actually I think it really is this story too, of Peter being convinced 
that it was okay for Gentiles to be Christians. Because that's the bulk of the chapter is the vision that's repeated three times. He's told, kill and eat these things. And he says, not so, Lord, I've never done that. And what the Lord has made clean, do not make unclean. He has that. He's told to go with people. And then the Holy Spirit falls on them, on the Gentiles, on Cornelius and those with him. And Peter's convinced, okay, I get it now. Gentiles can be Christians too. So Peter comes back after having gone through all of that. He comes back to Jerusalem. And let's pick up in verse 1 of Acts 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter had come up to Jerusalem, those who were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. All right. He comes. Apparently all that they've heard is that he's gone to Cornelius uh, and he preached to Gentiles. Now, it's not everybody in Judea, but it's people, you know, particular group that they had, uh, people that were big on circumcision, said, in essence, how dare you? You know better than that. And Peter goes on to say, yes, I thought I knew better than that, but here's what happened. Now, to their credit, the people that made the accusation by the end when Peter's done say, Oh, we get it now. This is great. Gentiles can be Christians too. But they started off with the, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not good. Because all they had was Gentiles are Christians now. And they had the very same reaction Peter had. But they didn't have the patience or the sense to say, okay, Peter, we heard you went to eat with Gentiles. We don't understand what, you know, please explain to us. But aren't I so quick to do that sometimes? Imagine, let's say that one of our shepherds comes and they have made a decision about this congregation. And I listen to it, and I go, that doesn't make sense to me. So I have a concern, but my concern is based on about five seconds of my thinking about it. Whereas I know these men, they would not come up here and announce something like this without five months or more sometimes of thought and consideration and prayer and discussion. And so I owe it to them. We all owe it to them to give it more than five seconds and say, if we don't understand, that's fine. But be a little calmer than I, you know, than I can be when, oh, that doesn't make sense. That, that can't be right. You know, you instantly go, nope, not going to do that. I'll give you a specific example not about the elders but um uh, something with ricky once some years ago uh, i think it would have been six years ago now december 25th happened to fall on a sunday and if you were here maybe you remember ricky's sermon from that day he started talking about the birth of christ 
And I'm sitting in my pew going, wait, what? What What did I walk into? And about three quarters of his sermon, if I remember right, was about that. And I'm sitting there thinking, what? What has gone on here? You know, this is not good. You know, this is bad. But fortunately, I happen to remember that Ricky had said sometime before that, if you have a problem with my preaching, please don't come to me that day because I'm just getting off of the, the high of preaching. I'm not going to be able to respond well. So I said, okay, let me give it a day. So I gave it a day. And then I was thinking about it some more. Like, should I talk to Ricky about it? I don't know. Gave it another day or two. And it's like, you know what? He preached about Jesus Christ. It happened to be, and he, on a day when a lot of people believed that Jesus was born, he talked about Jesus being born. He talked about, he talked from the Bible that day. And why am I objecting to it because other other groups think they have a monop or we think they have a monopoly on Christ's birth on that day. We can talk about that at any point. So I didn't talk to Ricky. And by the way, December 25th is a Sunday this year too. <laughs> Setting you up for a fall or for something, I don't know. And so you know, we're conditioned, and if you go, uh, I, I keep bringing up Facebook, but um, last year there was a whistleblower from Facebook. Her name was uh, Frances Haugen, I believe. And one of the things she pointed out was that some years ago, Facebook changed their algorithm. I don't think they had malicious intent at the time, but something they noticed was that people were getting more vicious online. The change they had made was they were trying to bubble up in your news feed the posts that were getting likes, that were getting loves, that were getting anger, that were getting sadness. They were, unwittingly or not, trying to provoke reactions. And it's those kind of reactions that are the most dangerous, the ones where I thought about it for three seconds, boom, I'm angry. Well, am I angry because I just don't like it? Or am I angry because you said it before I did? Or am I angry because I haven't thought it through yet? Now, a lot of the stuff that actually got bubbled up, yeah, it was worth getting. Probably, worth, well, it was some crazy stuff that got bubbled up. So, if I don't know enough, should I be expressing an opinion? Or if I figure out I don't know enough, should I be expressing an opinion? And if someone comes to me and says, you know, there's something I'm concerned about, maybe it's one of our shepherds, maybe it's a, a valued friend, and says, there's something I'm concerned about, and you can tell they thought about it, they didn't come to you willy-nilly just with an accusation, don't I owe it to them to hear it out? Just like Paul and... 1 Corinthians 7, the fact that he said it was opinion didn't mean you didn't listen. You might decide, you're free to decide, no, I don't agree. I'm going to get married anyway. But here's somebody who had a lot of concern for them that was saying things he thought they needed to know. But he was clear and said, this is not command, this is my opinion. And fourth, 
am I being humble with my opinion? And I am, I'll say first, I'm guilty about this. I remember many a Bible class where I wanted to say something because I felt the need as a younger man to prove myself. If I'm not making a comment, then I'm not important. I'm not engaged, you know. Wasn't the right way to approach commenting in class. By the way, those of you in my class next time, please comment. I'm not trying to stop you. Um, but this goes back again to why am I expressing an opinion? Why am I making a comment? Why am I doing something like this? So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 again. And we'll, we're going to reread the first five verses. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1 again. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in, in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Not in, he was not there in, you know, he was in demonstrations of power, but not power of himself. My speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and a power that your faith wouldn't stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Why was he weak and humble among them? Why was he determined not to know anything but Jesus among them? Because, as he said in verse 5, that your faith wouldn't stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, because the important thing was they learned the gospel. The important thing was that he could bring them to a belief or to a better belief in the gospel. And anything that would get in the way of that, as we said, he turned off. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, probably familiar with this, doing nothing through rivalry or through conceit, but in humility, each counting others better than himself. Each of you not just looking to his own things, but each of you also to the things of others. Does that mean we can't have opinions? Of course not. Does it mean we need to calibrate our opinion to say, is it worth speaking? Is it going to help the people I'm talking to? That doesn't mean, does it have to be just nice and flowery? If I'm going to rebuke somebody, is it because I want them to be better? Hopefully. If I need to encourage somebody, it's because they need encouragement. If I have an opinion that is an encouragement that I think will encourage somebody, by all means, please, just think about who you're talking to. One of my favorite passages talks about how um, what speech should be uh, grace seasoned with salt. So you might know how to answer each one. I think I got that right. I didn't write it down. Uh, but this idea of when we speak, it's for the listener. It's not for us. It's not for me speaking to you. It's for you. And so the seasoning I put on what I say, the way I build up what I say, it's not so it tastes good to me. And so it is nutritious, worth your consideration. So what does this look like? You know, we talked a lot about things to be careful of. What does a wise person and their opinions look like? For that, and as we close, I'd like to consider 
some verses in Proverbs chapter 1. You might think of this as Solomon's kind of, use a business term, his mission statement, is this is why I'm writing what I'm writing. And I'd like us to go through several of those things. So beginning in verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the words of understanding. What does that mean? Discernment. I can see, I can think about what someone says. Is it truth? Is it opinion? Is it something worth my consideration or not? To receive instruction in wise dealings. To receive means to listen. It's not just about making an argument. It's about trying to learn. In righteous justice and equity to give prudence to the simple so that I know, go back to Acts 11, so that I know when I don't know. I know, what, I know when I don't know something. I know when I am not, don't have all the answers that I need. Knowledge and discretion to the young man that the wise man may hear and increase in learning that again, I don't know it all. And my opinion should reflect that I don't know it all. And if I'm being wise, I'm willing to hear and I'm willing to say, okay, this is something I still need to learn. That the man of understanding may attain to sound counsel. It's interesting, the choice of word there, that may attain to sound counsel. That it's something that you go after. It's something that you seek. Now, I don't think he means here that it's something that you get to and you're done, but it's a recognizing that I am trying to get somewhere. I am trying to get to the point where I can give sound counsel, where if I decide that it's worth giving an opinion, it's useful. It's not just me rambling off about tax code and nonsense like that, or it's nonsense if I'm talking about it that I know enough to say useful things, that I can give wise opinions. That's what I think we all want. We want to grow. We want to learn. We want to share. And we want to help each other. So with our opinions, let's do our best. And this is on me. I'm saying our intentionally because I need this as much as anybody to use our opinions for good. Thank you so much for listening to me this morning. We've got time for a closing prayer and then a verse of a song, and we'll be dismissed to our classes. Thank you. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com we'd love to have you in person come if you can but thank you for connecting with us